will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You. The only podcast that, while technically better hourly, was discovered in clinical trials to be 80% as effective as a suppository. Joining me this evening, Mr. Dave Convery, the Moriarty of public urination. You'll never catch me. I am Roger Hart, the hall monitor in all of those dreams when you're naked, and rounding us out and finishing us off, Mr. H.J. Doom, who has written a prophecy revealing the precise date, time, and place where the base will finally drop. Yeah, don't hold your breath, people. Don't hold your breath. If you would like this fine compliment of fixes to finally, if not necessarily, complimentarily fix you, why not write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or on the internet at hauntedphonograph.com. Today's question pertains to mendacity most foul. I have a friend. Our questioner begins. Well, I say friend. I've known this person the better part of a decade and am rapidly cooling towards them as time goes on. They tell great stories. I understand the impulse to spin a yarn, to entertain and amuse, but the stories this person tells are a. all about them, b. either about a terrible tragedy that has befallen them or some glamorous escapade, and c. are neither provable or disprovable. All stories are just about within the realms of physical possibility, but never have any witnesses, and all seem to be geared towards adding to the pity or veneration of the teller. I have dealt with this for the last eight or so years by just saying to myself that, well, if these stories are true, this person needs all the support and love they can get, and if they're not true, then at least they're not hurting anyone. But in the last two years, this person has been swallowing a great deal of money, to the tune of about 5k, from very good friends of mine, and the stories are getting more extreme. I still have no proof that these stories are untrue, and cannot confront this person on their stories, on the hair's breadth chance that I am wrong and therefore have been the worst shit to a very damaged person. What on earth can I do? Yours, Lester Witt Crumblevale. Mr. Convery. First of all, we've all probably dealt with a lot of people who do this, this sort of nonsense, and they are a massive time and energy sink for those close to them and, and those even slightly peripheral. It's very good that you have taken their feelings and considerations into account. I'm not sure that I would necessarily have been so kind, certainly not at this point in my life, but 
when the nicest possible version is that they're a drama and attention addict, everything worse from there is worse. And to be able to, to maintain a, a view of their needs is, is very, very kind. With that said, my fix for this is, um, is going to hurt. Or, on the very slim chance that they're telling the truth, it is going to be fucking brilliant. You are going to spend as much time as you conceivably can with this person. You already don't hate them, even if you don't trust them per se. So spend as much time around them as you conceivably can. And who knows? They're telling the truth and you get to go on a magical adventure. The, the, the astonishing highs, the dizzying lows. Way magical adventure. Or you give the lies fewer and fewer places to hide. It's not the same as outright confronting them, but the less able they are to say, oh, well, this happened and it was brilliant, dreadful, whatever, with someone whom they are likely to lie to there to say, well, it didn't really happen like that, did it? It feels like a a reasonable way of not exactly handling it, but getting to the point where someone has to do the emotional labor to say, okay, fucko, now's your time. Or, you know, fob it off on someone who is, who is closer to them and more able to deal with it. But effectively just give the lies, give the exaggerations fewer places to hide. And it doesn't just have to be one person. It could do a, be a whole bunch of you spending more and more time with them. And then the worst thing that you've done is that you've given someone the attention that they crave and hopefully got five grand back. I mean, are you, are you basically suggesting following them at all times? With kindness. Just sort of a little bit uncomfortable, but very friendly urinal chat. Well, I mean, it depends on how much they talk about going to the toilet. Oh, so merely following them into verifiable circumstances, huh? Get yes, get just spending more time more time around them so that when they come back with, gosh, this happened and it was the best or worst thing ever and, my God, the fucking drama of it all, you can say, no, you nipped out for some Pringles and someone side-eyed you and that was it. I like it. It doesn't feel too unkind. Just, you know, hugely distrusting of a person that I don't know, but we've done worse. H J do. I think we can all, to an extent, empathise with this problem because I think all of us have known people we suspect were living at least partially in a fantasy world. And to be honest, who can blame them, really? With reality, a constant tirade of apocalypse and petty humiliations. Who hasn't, on occasion, stretched the truth a little in order to make themselves you know, seem more interesting? I've got a brilliant anecdote about sharing a rent boy with Mother Teresa that I will trot out at every dinner party I attend safe in the knowledge that you can't libel the dead. Lying is really easy. So easy, in fact, that I've smuggled a second lie in with a Mother Teresa one because I never attend dinner parties. This is because I hate people and would much rather drink at home on my own, where the only one judging me is the cat, who doesn't really care if I piss myself out of laziness so long as I can still open a sachet of cat food. 
For the habitual fantasist, there does seem to be a worrying tendency to escalate things, though. There was a lad at school who eventually escalated his persecution fantasies into a successful suicide attempt, which came as a tremendous relief to anyone who'd ever met him. That might sound harsh, but speaking as someone who met him repeatedly while at school, despite making every effort to hide from him, I can assure you it's not. Perhaps your acquaintance is on track for a similarly catastrophic mental breakdown and the whole sorry business will sort itself out one way or another. Hopefully not fatally, I'm not a monster, but the sort of breakdown that takes them out of circulation for a while and tips those around them off to the idea that maybe they should exercise a degree of caution when listening to their tall tales. If that doesn't happen, there is a solution, and one I have actually used myself. The single most impressive serial liar I ever met was a gentleman I ran into while working nights in a 24-hour garage. You really do meet the cream of humanity at 4am in an environment where you can't leave. He was a hospital porter, but would spin impossible yarns about his previous careers and lengthy list of sexual conquests. Now, I'm not keen on body shaming anyone, not least because I look like Gollum out of Lord of the Rings if he'd really hit the pies and fascist haircuts recently, but there was a definite lack of congruence, shall we say, between his physical attributes and his ribald tales of sex parties with professional models. He once told me that he was only working as a porter while he was taking a break from being a helicopter pilot. He also claimed that he was only driving a second-hand Volvo because if he took his Lamborghini to work, the patients would interfere with it. He was ultimately a harmless enough fellow. I don't think anyone bought a single word that came out of his mouth, and I still remember him with that odd fondness that only the derangedly eccentric can engender. What I'm going to suggest you do is what I sometimes used to do with him, which is basically to gently fuck with your acquaintance. The thing is that no pathological liar, no truly pathological liar, can possibly keep track of all the lies they've spun. Not least because for a lot of liars, part of the fun is the challenge of extemporising something entertaining and self-serving on the spur of the moment. You can leverage that to your advantage. What I used to do was ask my liar to tell other staff members anecdotes that I would claim he had already recounted to me. Hey, I would say, why don't you tell Kevin about that time you went on holiday to America and you ended up date-crashing a party at the Playboy Mansion? Or all that time you were arm-wrestling Oliver Reed in a pub and he ended up buying you drinks all night because you won. There would be a moment of blind panic in his eyes, then a moment of perfect calm, and then he would just literally trot out whatever bullshit anecdote I had suggested with the confidence of someone to the bullshit born. There is a certain pleasure at watching a master of their craft at work, so with your acquaintance I suggest you do something similar. You should have a fairly good handle of the kind of nonsense they routinely spout, so it shouldn't be too hard to ask them to regale a group with the, the hilarious story of the time they were mistaken for an archbishop, or, or that really funny thing that happened where they ended up mixing cocktails in the corner of one of the sex parties where Jacob Rees-Mogg has his juices drained for later uh, to be inseminated into his drugged and screaming wife. If they're a proper liar they will leap into it with both feet because they can't be sure they haven't spun those particular yarns to a gathering at some earlier point. For bonus points, and indeed your own amusement, you can chuck the occasional spanner into the works by reminding them of the odd specific details, such as the fact they were high on drugs at the time, or wasn't there an escape bear involved somewhere? Again, the hardened fantasist will simply weave these details into their narrative. 
often without missing a beat. Once the story is done, you can take your friends and the audience aside and let them in on the fact that you were setting them up to prove a point. They're likely to treat future pronouncements with a healthy dose of scepticism, I would think. Of course, it's remotely possible that this person just has a very colourful life and will decline to improvise on the tune you've called. But if that's the case, you just simply say you were mistaken and claim that it was someone else who told you this particular anecdote, perhaps on a celebrated advice podcast. It's fine. I'll happily take one for the team on that. this one. If all else fails, simply encourage them towards the natural home of the mendacious and the self-obsessed, your local branch of the Conservative Party. If Boris Johnson is any guide, the sky's the limit when it comes to habitual dishonesty and self-serving narcissism in right-wing politics. Who knows? You know, we could be looking at a future prime minister. Now, again, we've, we've sort of covered the empathy and your desire to sort of fundamentally approach this in a decent way. And those are all laudable, laudable impulses. But I kind of feel like you need some sort of bedrock of certainty in your life around this one as it becomes a dizzying whirl of seductive words. Let's try and get that for you. Now, the accuracy of lie detector tests varies wildly, with the approximate range being from really, really flaky to junk science that we as a species should be embarrassed for. But if there's one thing we know here at We Will Fix You, it's that if you combine enough garbage psychology techniques hastily scraped off the internet while drinking red wine, you can achieve anything. In, in, in vino veritas, as you can probably find at least one website telling you Pliny said. So we're going to take them down the pub and MacGyver the fucking truth out of them. We're going to build some lie detectors. Obviously. Varying accuracy, varying accuracy. It's why we're going to use lots. There's been a lot of buzz around using fMRI for lie detection, essentially using um, magnetic resonance imaging to see the areas of the brain that are more active when a subject is lying. Um, current best guesses, which are still garbage, are that kind of prefrontal and parietal lobe activity in escalate while lying. The data is wonky, it's hard to repeat, trials of commercial machines have been a mess. But but actually, for us, worse than that. Um, the machines are huge, expensive, and even in Cambridge, um, where, where, where we are, or some of us are, um, you may or may not be, even in Cambridge, you, you probably can't cludge together a load of electromagnets just from shit lying around the pub. So we're gonna have to go old school. First, the polygraph. Can't fuck with the classics. Polygraphs measure a range of stuff, but commonly skin conductivity, heart rate, and maybe some other things like blood pressure and capillary dilation. The idea here, as with many lie detection techniques, being that we have a raft of autonomic responses when we lie, largely stress-based. It's a nice idea, not super reliable. Oh, <laughs> incidentally, those things like um, skin conductivity, heart rate, capillary dilation, various things like that, blood oxygenation actually, if you're lucky. Um, many modern fitness trackers and smartwatches will just store a load of that data by default. So you could just steal their phone and see what the graphs look like while they're lying. Um, but if, if you're not up for that, well, you can make a basic polygraph actually out of a couple of electrodes, a resistor, and something like an Arduino or a Raspberry Pi that can collect and graph the inputs. It's just a skitter resistance graph taken across the skin surface. So 
stealthily strapping electrodes to them could be tricky, um, which is one of the reasons you're going to start three pints down. It's important that you're at the pub for this. Uh, but I, I would recommend making the electrodes very slightly spiky and going ass first up under the chair cushion. Um, otherwise, you're, you're looking at seeing if you can hide some fine filaments down the side of something they'll be holding, like a pool cue or maybe velcroed to the outfit of someone's adorable child. Anyway, we, we can't leave it to the polygraph. They're questionable, so we best double or triple up. Um, electroencephalography, or EEG, is um, simplistic and helpfully, given that many pubs are now also casual dining venues, non-invasive measure of brain activity. You just whack some electrodes along the scalp and pretty much graph as above. In this case, you're detecting voltage fluctuations as neurons fire, so you do actually want quite sensitive gear. But these days, you can get a cheap consumer EEG rig for a couple hundred quid. And to be frank, you could probably deduct that as a fee from recovering your friend's five grand once you, you know, bust the fucker. Otherwise, you can make some simple electrodes as before, little bits of tin foil or fine filament wire. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be fine. Now, in this case, you will need to trick them into wearing a hat with the EEG sensor pads concealed in it. But again, the magic of drinking. So you could play Idiot Poker or Blind Man's Bluff or the racially questionable name for this game that's that version of Texas Hold Poker where you stick a playing card on your forehead. Or, or work out a version of that Guess Who-y 20 Questions-y game where I just fucking hate party games, you know the fucking one. Anyway, pretend you have to play it with hats and get creative. EG rig, in the hat, you're sorted. Now you've got two graphs. Let's go to three so that you can tie break if they differ, because these are low fidelity techniques. Now, here I would suggest voice stress analysis or eye tracking. Eye tracking is a little more accurate, looks at pupil dilation, etc., and little attentional flicks. But unless there's a phone app specifically for it and you keep being the drunk, insufferable wanker friend who takes hilarious videos and insists on endless selfies, this is going to be hard to set up, and honestly, you don't want to be that guy. Whereas leaving your phone on the table just silently recording requires so little stealth that even the Roger Moore era James Bond could pull it off. So record the whole evening and later graph it. What you're looking for is um, small twitches in pitch, um, voice frequency, and these little kind of verbal tremors, catches and wobbles. You, you're basically looking for distortions in the pattern. These, again, are stress patterns and may correlate with lies. To interpret all of this, you will, however, need a baseline. Um, there are various tests or standard question sets for establishing a baseline. Basically, get people to tell a known truth so that you can measure against it. Um, but this is cool because, you know, verifiable, verifiable data, reminiscing about shared, verifiable experiences is a great way to start an evening of getting pissed and talking bollocks. So you'll be away in no time, it'll seem naturalistic. I am certain that with the combined power of unethical psychology research, graphs, and five pints of milk stout, you will be able to catch the mendacious dick weasel rent-handed. Uh, if, if, by some chance, it looks like they're telling the truth, well, you don't. Just just tell your friends that they're merely such an established liar you couldn't build a baseline, and then shake them down for five grand in the car park after closing time. Well, with that trio of cast iron concrete of 
objectively true fixes, you can be absolutely sure that your problem is solved. Just trust us. And if anyone else would like to entrust their problems to us, why not write to us at we will fix you show at gmail.com and we will drop some truth bombs all over that motherfucker. Thank you.